Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. What had Freddie meant, the bravest person I know? For less, it is a mystery. Name a day, name an hour in which Arthur Less was not afraid. Of ordering a cocktail, taking a taxi, teaching a class, writing a book. Afraid of these and almost everything else in the world. Strange though, because he is afraid of everything, nothing is harder than anything else. Taking a trip around the world is no more terrifying than buying a stick of gum. The Daily Dose of Courage. Andrew Sean Greer, Less. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And this week, it's time for Backlist Book Club. In today's episode, Hunter McClendon and I are discussing the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, Less, by Andrew Sean Greer. Before we get started, I wanted to remind listeners of The Bookshelf's upcoming fall literary lunch. Every quarter, I host these bookish lunches on Zoom to introduce readers to my favorite titles of the upcoming season. With fall nearly upon us, can you taste it in the air? We certainly cannot, but a girl can dream. We've got our fall literary lunch on the books for Thursday, September 1st at noon Eastern. Your ticket to the event includes access to the Zoom, which you can watch live or later. It will be recorded. A discount code for fall pre-orders and a handy PDF guide to the new books of the season. To snag a ticket to this virtual event, head to the Bookshelf's website, that's bookshelfthomasville.com, then click Events and Tickets. There's also a link in the show notes of today's episode. Now, back to the show. Hi, Hunter. Hello. Welcome to Backlist Book Club. This is so exciting. Also, can I just say, so, you know, we're talking about Les today, which is, you know, an LGBTQ, well, I guess it's it's, it's a gay book. Mm-hmm. That's the best way, you know, but I'm just very, I'm, th- I'm thankful that like, so if, if you have not been listening along to us reading The Count of Monte Cristo, I have just been like assuming that this is a very, like, I was assuming that book was gay like this whole time. Um, <laughs> I'm still convinced it is, but it's, I'm glad that we're reading a book that is like confirmed Homa. Actually gay literature. <laughs> yeah. We're just speculating about the count, although Hunter has nearly convinced me. And so, or I think, I think you have convinced me uh, that the count is gay or bi. I think, yeah. I think that's where, I, that's where I've landed. But yes, this is, this is, as you say, confirmed gay lit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm excited to talk about it. So for those of you who are new here, Backlist Book Club is a series we started actually years ago. I think it first began as Love It or Loathe It, which was a podcast series where we either loved a book or loathed a book. That was pretty fun, but we often landed in the middle ground, yeah. like kind <laughs> of the middle at or. And so we decided to turn it into Backlist Book Club, and we brought it back this year specifically to read Pulitzer Prize winning books. Mm-hmm. So we did... Beloved, which if you want to go back and listen to those episodes, I had somebody ask, what if I've never read the book? And Hunter, you tell me if you feel this way. I feel like there are occasional spoilers because all of these Mm -hmm. books are backlist titles. But I think most of these episodes could inspire you to read the book, even if you've never read the book. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I think that especially with the books that, you know, that we've read this year, because we've read Beloved and we read Annie Dillard's Pilgrim at Tinker Creek and now with Less, I think that these are books that are can be considered more challenging. And so I think like being able to 
see this kind of conversational, I don't know, I think it's, it helps it seem more accessible. Yes. Okay. That's how I feel too. So if you were going to skip this episode, I would encourage you to not skip it and instead listen to it and let it inspire maybe a future reading or a future book club conversation you might have in your own communities. So anyway, we read Beloved, which is episode 368 of From the Front Porch. And then we also read Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, which was episode 377. So this is our conversation on Less, which won the Pulitzer in 2018. Hunter, before we, because normally we kind of talk about our thoughts and feelings and our history, mm-hmm. let's first, can you give a synopsis of Les first? Oh gosh, that is hard for this one. <laughs> it, it is. It's about, um, it's about an author in his late 40s, kind of, I guess, would you say he's having a midlife crisis? Yeah, I would. Yeah, he's, he's having a midlife crisis and it's about this like journey he's taking, um, because I think he's staying, like, I love how I just read this book and I'm already blessed. <laughs> and I think he's like, he's standing in for his like ex lover, his ex boyfriend man's uh, book, book tour thing. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, he, he was in love. Uh-huh. They broke up. His ex boyfriend is getting married. So yes. Arthur basically fills, I don't know, it feels like a long time, but maybe it's just three months or whatever. He fills a period of time with all of these different author visits, guest professorships, like yes. all over the globe so that he can avoid his ex-boyfriend's wedding. Yes. And so he kind of goes gallivanting about the globe and we follow him from place to place. Thank you. It's so funny because I got so caught up. I'm not going to lie. It's th- this is one of those books where I think you kind of get caught up in like the ideas that he's exploring so much that like, the plot almost becomes secondary at times. I was going to say, it's not particularly plot-driven. We'll talk yeah. about that in a second. To me, now, I loved how the book is arranged, which we may want to talk about. So let's, okay, had you read this before? I So I went back to find my initial post of this, which I didn't post until 2018. And I said that I'd read the first 100 pages and that it was not for me right now, but I would love to come back and visit later. Oh, a prophet. Yeah, which, and it's so funny because, like, I listen, I remember very much disliking this book and texting you and being like, I don't really like it. And yeah, yeah. Hunter, I specifically, I am pretty sure I bought this book. I am pretty mm-hmm. sure I bought the hardcover. I want to say at Sundog Books or somewhere. Yeah. I feel like I bought a copy, started reading it, did not enjoy. Like, yeah. I think I gave it, I think you and I have talked before about how many pages we give a book. I think I had read 50 or so pages mm-hmm. and thought, this is not for me. And the reviews, and I looked up some reviews before recording, and the reviews are run the gamut. They're all over the place. Yeah. And I did not enjoy this. And I remember when it won the Pulitzer, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then I was, so I was a little concerned about reading this. And I put off reading it because listeners will know by now I had COVID last week. And so I didn't read it. And then thought on Monday, I was like, okay, negative for COVID. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read this book. But I was worried it was going to be a slog. And I don't know either. I don't know what kind of headspace past Annie was in. I had no trouble picking this up. Like none at all. I was not bored. I I did not. The first 50 pages were not a slog. Mm -hmm. I immediately was hooked. And I thought, what, what was I thinking those many years ago? (laughs) I had the exact, do you know what I think it is? I think that 
you know, when I, when I, because I said it in my post, you know, like, like some books, you know, you just, you have to read them at the right time. And I think that you and I have both read a lot more books that have contributed to our understanding of what this type of book is doing. Yeah. Because this also, because this is a, this book is a lot more stream of consciousness than what you typically read. I oh, feel that's like. true. Yeah, and that's true. Because actually, yeah, because I told you to read Trust Exercise, and which you you appreciated, but we're like, yes, I read it, but it was not maybe for me. That's how I yes. felt. And but I think that you know, but I do. Th- I think this is a much, uh, it's stream of consciousness light. Like it's not so, it's not so much that like you kind of like keep losing yourself. I guess. And it's organized. So I have said, I have said before many times, and Olivia and I talk about this frequently, that one thing that keeps us reading is short chapters. Mm -hmm. And so at first I picked this up and thought, like I started reading and I thought, huh, feels like a chapter break should be coming. And then I thought, oh, oh no, like there's not one coming because this book is organized by countries. So Arthur Less starts off in San Francisco. Then he heads, oh gosh, I want to say to New York, then Mexico, at some point he's in Italy, he's in Germany. And so each section is rather lengthy, but it covers that country. And so I wound up, I read this in one day, but I read one section at a time. So at the end of a section, I would scroll my phone or send an email. And then I went back to reading or I would eat a snack, like (laughs) whatever. And so I actually felt like the broken into sections, I really appreciated. And I liked that there weren't a million chapters. I actually really liked that it was, okay, I'm enmeshed in this one country where Arthur's visiting. And then we can take a moment and then go to the next country together. And I really wound up liking that format. And it actually contributed, I think, to the ease in which I read this book. I would agree with that. And I do. And it's so funny too, because I think that, um, I don't know why I didn't like the, cause when I, when I read it the first time, like I'd gotten, I think to the first, like the two, two different, uh, areas. And I was like, I was like, and I, it, it just didn't really connect with me then. And th- then I was reading it now and I was like, oh my gosh, actually this reminded me some in a really weird way of, uh, there's this author named Wright Morris who was really big in the fifties and sixties, who is no longer really read now, but he would do something really similar in how he would, um, kind of take the take these characters into into different territories and and each one would really feel kind of broken up into its own section and feel very alive and I think that uh may, I think maybe because I was able to kind of like see that connection it was like really exciting well that's right you've read a lot of other types of literature in between now and then mm-hmm. and I think I think as readers we need to be okay with being wrong so as as long as we're willing to say oh well, I didn't like that four years ago, but it doesn't mean I might never like it. And four years ago, Annie might've been wrong. Like maybe this Mm -hmm. book is wonderful. And as long as I'm willing to say, oh, Annie from four years ago didn't know any better or it wasn't for her at that time. I'm not mad at her. I'm not angry at her. I just know, okay, it wasn't for her then, but it's for me now. And how great, what a wonderful gift that I could dive into this world and fall in love with Arthur and fall in love with his story so quickly. I was really worried. And then I do want to point out this feels like a very bookish, nerdy thing to pick up on. First of all, had you read any other books by Andrew Sean Greer? No. Okay, I haven't either. And now I'm kind of like, should I go back and read his backlist? Because it looks like The Confessions of Max Tavoli, however you pronounce that, um, that got good reviews. So I'm kind of yeah. like, hmm, maybe I should do try that. Th- just quickly, do you think he'll end up reading the sequel to Les? 
Yes. I want to talk about the sequel at the end. Because I, I do think – now I'm a little mm, – I have questions. But but yeah, I'm intrigued. We'll put it okay. that way. Yeah. But the other nerd, book nerd thing I wanted to point out, I was looking at this and realized it was edited by Lee Bordreau. And I think I'm finally at that stage in my literary life where I'm starting to pick up on editors I like. Mm-hmm. And that is – I don't know that I would have ever picked up on that as a lay reader. I really think yeah. that's just from being in the book world a little bit. and. I just now see her name is all over many of the books I love. I think about Brood in particular by Jackie uh-huh. Polson. And so anyway, when I saw Lee Bordeaux's name, I thought, oh, well, of course I'm probably going to love this book. And sure enough, I did. So how great to find an editor that we like. Oh, I'll be really interested to know, because maybe I wonder if Less is Lost is going to be edited by, because she's the different. With- yeah. Oh. She's with a different. Little Brown. She is with. Or she's with Double Day now, but. That's right. She's with Doubleday, and this was Little Brown, and is uh, again. I think his sequel uh, is too. Cool. <laughs> uh, I'm always so curious about that kind of stuff too. Like I don't know. Yeah. I like anyway because I think editors play a bigger role than we can ever imagine. Oh yeah. I think I think a lot goes into the editing process. Mm-hmm. Okay. Before we dive into kind of what we liked, what we didn't like, I do want to talk about the Pulitzer of it all. So we've been win- okay. we've been reading Pulitzer winners. Also thrilled to know after reading this book because there is a Pulitzer winning author in this book that according to Andrew Sean Greer, it is pronounced Pulitzer. And yes. that makes me feel really good. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I used to call it Pulitzer and people would make fun of me. And then I was, I, when I read it to here, I was like, oh, see, I was right the first time. Ugh. They literally give a pronunciation and they say mm-hmm. it's Pulitzer, not Pulitzer. So what a relief that, that we were, we're doing one thing, right? So this is a Pulitzer winning novel. I liked this book upon my second try. Mm-hmm. In fact, I loved it. I think it'll be a five-star book for me. Is it Pulitzer winning worthy? Is it unusual in the canon of Pulitzer winning fiction? You are the awards expert in my <laughs> mind. How do you feel? So, okay. I It's interesting to think about how... So the, the Pulitzer, the difference between like something like the Pulitzer and uh, the National Book Award, we've talked about this a little bit before, but like the National Book Award is looking for the best written book by an American writer whereas the Pulitzer is looking for the best book, preferably dealing with American life. And I will say that while I don't necessarily think that Less is a book that is specifically dealing with American life, I do think that it is a book written with a very American lens. Mm -hmm. And I think that that uh, aspect of it does, like that makes it very like lean. I can understand the wind that way. I am actually Mm -hmm. very uh, intrigued by so I have not read In the Distance by Aaron and Diaz, but I did read his latest book, Trust. Um, mm. And and so that, that year, Les won over The Idiot, which I did not like when I first read it. But now I'm like, should I go back and reread it? Uh, yeah. And, and But it's interesting. So, uh, but, so Les has a sequel that's coming out this year. And then uh, The Idiot has a sequel that's coming out this year. And then In the Distance, has, the author has another book. All of them have a book coming out this year. I think it's really interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that is. But anyway, everyone thought that In the Distance, like whenever they read all three, they were like, oh, like In the Distance seems like it would have been the book. Right. Um, but I think that, you know, I think that if you look at a book like The Hours by Michael Cunningham, that book was a very stream of consciousness, queer uh, story. And I think that depending on who the judges were that year, it, I think that, mm. you know, if, if, they, if that's the kind of thing they were looking for, they wanted like another, like a more happy, upbeat version of something like The Hours that had yeah. these like elements of like, queerness and stream of consciousness because that's something too is that uh the hours is very inspired by 
Virginia Woolf uh, because she's in the book too, but uh, but less it's less that you know there's a lot of references to Proust, but mm-hmm. it is also very connected to Virginia Woolf in a lot of ways. So I think and that, Ulysses, I, I think there, it's connected to Ulysses some, yes, and yes, it's clearly paying homage to some other works of literature. I guess when I read Beloved and mm-hmm. when I read Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, less to me. Now I don't know that 2018 Annie would have agreed. But 2022, Annie finds this way more accessible than Beloved or yes. or Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Do you agree? I do think this is very accessible now. I did not think it was accessible when I read it the first time. Right. But I don't know what the difference is. Like, I don't know that 2018 Annie would have thought it was accessible. But like I like I told you, I, pl- I plopped down and read this no problem. No, didn't bad enough. Yeah. I actually think that this has a similar quality to... I always think about how Maya Angelou always talked about how... Uh, the easiest reading is the hardest writing. Mm. And I, you know, and I, yeah, and I think that, and I think that in some ways that he, Toni Morrison talked about uh, how whenever, like she she used to teach this, she taught writing and she would talk about how uh, if you have the rhythm right, that even Mm -hmm. if people disagree with you, that they'll, if the rhythm sounds believable, they'll, they'll, they're more likely to believe you. Mm -hmm. And I think that, Something that uh, Greer is doing here is he is under he knows how to like have that perfect rhythm for what he and, and it, this is because this is a book that really you have to have the rhythm right for it to work well. Yeah, and so I think that because I think that these structural things are what really is um, the structural elements are what is more of a standout maybe than the more uh, some of the heavier themes or the or the you know the bigger big idea kind of things. Yeah, because there are big things happening in this book. Like yeah. if you, and we struggled a little bit to say a synopsis, I guess, but when I, okay, we're going to, I'm going to talk about the cover for a second. When we look at the cover and maybe again, it's my 2022 eye, but I'm like, wow, this cover looks like a rom-com. That's, yeah. what, <laughs> that's what this cover mm-hmm. looks like. Um, is this a rom-com? Is it a book about aging? Is it a book about grieving? Is it a book about gay love? Is it a book about, I mean, what is it? Okay, but wait, do you know what I just realized? Okay, Fleischman is in trouble. Does this book not have connections, right, to Fleischman is in trouble? Because they're both, the narration is very similar Mm -hmm. in what it's doing. Um, Yes. Right? so true. Yes. That's a good comp. And Fleischman is very commercial, but it is also, like, really smart in what it's doing. And so I think that, in a way, maybe what's so brilliant about this book, Les, is that it is, um, it's, it's deceptively, like, got a commercial like tilt to it but it's like but it's still it does like i okay as a bookseller i'm constantly thinking like who could i put this in the hands of Mm -hmm. and while i was reading it i thought now wait a minute there's a world in which this appeals to readers of this is your life harriet chance which is a book about a woman who's aging and she goes on a cruise this feels like uh, um english majors right might really like it like i kept thinking of the movie stranger than fiction which is one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. and there are very much to me similar elements to arthur less's story as there are to will ferrell's character in stranger than fiction and so i thought gosh i actually and then at the same time i think i could potentially sell it to a rom-com reader who's looking for something with a little, with a little more heft like i think yeah. this could easily be put in the hands of both a really literary fiction appreciating customer and then also a commercial reader, which for a Pulitzer winner feels unusual. Yes, I def- I definitely agree with that. Although I will say it's so funny because I did get one or two people message me to say that they hated this book. 
Wait, and I said, no, I love it. I love when that happens. You know, and, and the thing is, you know, I, like once I finish a book, I don't really mind. Right. To please don't, once, please don't DM. Yeah. Go ahead. Put out your PSA. I think yeah. it's valuable. Um, I, I, I said this on my Instagram recently. Um, I do. I love to have conversations about books after I have finished the book. <laughs> yes. Don't DM a person who's in the middle of a book and is like, I'm loving this so far and be like, oh, well, you're going to hate it. <laughs> Because it, 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 it gets in your head, you know it's true. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. But yeah, but somebody did message me. Like I had a couple people message me, but one person. Uh, I so I I do think that if you are, and this is not this is not like a bad thing, but I think that if if you prefer stuff that's like very very light, very like Colleen Hoover type uh, books, mm-hmm. like I don't think this is going to be for you. But I think that if you are into the more like Emma, if, I think if you're Emma Straub, it kind of comes to mind, like. I, and I think the Fleischman comparison is valuable because I yeah. would not put this... Here's who I wouldn't give this to. I wouldn't give this to a customer who loves plot-driven fiction. Right. Um, I And I wouldn't give this to Olivia. I don't... Oh, yeah. by the way, I don't think Olivia would pick this up. Like, But yeah. I don't think Olivia would like this because of the long sections. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Olivia, they're not that this... This is not a particularly romantic novel. Um, right. But... Olivia is not going to pick this up because it's not her genre, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't hand sell it to her even because of the structure of it. And because that stream of consciousness element that you're talking about, we're a lot, it's not narrated by Arthur. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an unnamed narrator for a long time, but it feels very in Arthur's head. It yes. feels like we are in Arthur's head. We're seeing things through his eyes. And so my friend Juliana, who comes on the podcast sometimes, I would not hand sell this to her. Um, she is not character-driven right. kind of person. And I think this is a lot of character development. There was enough plot to keep me engaged. But I think if you're primarily a plot-driven reader, this is probably not going to be for you. Yes. That, I, think that is very, I think that is a good di- the distinction. Because I think, that, um, I think that's with most every book. I think that most people can get past a lot of things uh stylistically or structurally as long, if there is if there is a plot a lot of people who are more plot driven or like plot driven stories can get into it but if you don't but see i i don't know listen i if a book is well written i don't need i don't really need anything to happen if it i'm like you know if <laughs> well, that's how you and i that yeah that's how you and i i think are very similar like i can give you i can give an author a lot of leeway if yeah. i know if i trust them like yes. Like I could read Matrix by Lauren Groff, even though that was totally outside of genre for me, because I knew I trust Lauren Groff. She's going to take me where I need to go. Also, why did I think I didn't like this book? Because literally it feels like it was written for me because <laughs> it is so messy in some ways. Yes, they, they are so messy. And I know we're saying it's not plot driven. The, <laughs> and I, look, I'm sorry to reference this because I know people have feelings about this book too, but the eat, pray, love of it all. The yes. fact that it is very familiar, this is a familiar pattern of storytelling, whether you're familiar with it from Eat, Pray, Love or from Greek tragedies or whatever, this kind of road trip map mm-hmm. or this cross cross the globe traveling, this globe trotting um, plot device. I love that aspect of yeah. storytelling. And so it was very easy for me to know, okay, now we're going to get Arthur. We're going to get Arthur at a New York City um, and it's funny, like if you are in the book world, if you're in the publishing world, this yeah. book is very funny because it's all about, he's 49 years old. He's tra- he's not, he's a publisher of like one critically successful novel and yeah. a couple of other, like it just feels like if you are in or adjacent to publishing at all, you're going to find a lot of humor in this book. 
So do you feel like this is like the La La Land of the book thing? Like, you know, like, because La La Land was very like movie. Yeah. Right? And like the Los Angeles, like it was for, I mean, people from Los Angeles might disagree, but it (laughs) felt very much for that audience. I think this, this may be part of the reason it wound up, you know how the Oscars love movies about movies? Yes. So I, you do wonder, does the Pulitzer love books about books? I'm not, I'm not sure, but well, this certainly yeah. would fall into that category. Well, do they love books that mention the Pulitzer? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. if that's the case, then why did Ann Patchett not win for Commonwealth? I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, th- but, but that's, this book is very much in the literary world. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of kind of inside jokes about what it's like to be a middle-aged author. There's even some really interesting stuff. Actually, I do have this question. I, I typed up questions as yeah. I want to do. Um, let's see. Because there's a scene, how could I forget that there's a chapter or a section set in France? And Arthur has a former lover um, or a friend, I think this might just be a friend, who um, tells him he's not a bad writer, but he's a bad gay writer. And proceeds to basically tell him he's not a bad writer, but he's a bad gay person. (laughs) And and Arthur is like, wait, so you like my writing, but I'm not gay enough. And And the friend was like, yeah, everybody's too nice to tell you but you only really write about gay tragedy. Like you're not doing anything uplifting, which I almost thought, God, how genius that Andrew Sean Greer is in like subverting this himself by writing this very uplifting gay novel. I thought it was really yeah. meta. It is. And and I, it's so funny too, because and maybe that's, I'm not going to lie. Maybe that's the reason why I didn't like it the first time. Because first of all, happy things i don't understand at first right like it feels very yes. you know and the thing is it's it's true that you know at this at that point when he'd written that you know if you look at the books that come out uh just before that we'd had like you know what belongs to you by uh garth greenwell and we would had a little life by honey Anagahara. Mm-hmm. um and i think that maybe even around the same time we had just got or maybe it was like right after this we'd gotten uh the great believers uh by Rebecca yes Mackay. that's right and so, you know, it's like all like, you know, gay tragedy. And like, that's literally the majority of like what was getting published. If queer books were getting published at all before 2018, that's what we were seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is just very, I think that his kind of has brought, I think his uh, less really has brought about this new um, demand for more happy and uplifting stories by queer writers. And he doesn't, he doesn't gloss over some of the tragic parts. Like I thought it was really very poignant because it's also subtle. The book is very subtle to me Mm -hmm. where there's a moment where Arthur Less is saying he's about to turn 50 and he is part of the first generation of gay men to age. And it's just like this passing comment. And you, as a straight reader, I read it and think, oh my gosh, I've never thought about that. Like this is the first generation of men gay men who have been able to age gracefully and what does that mean and what does that look like and then how do you do it if you don't have a model for it if you don't have any examples of it and i found that to be especially poignant but it wasn't harped on it's like a brief passing comment and then arthur moves on like and and as and greer moves on also speaking of aging gracefully have did you see like his the uh andrew sean greer's picture this, the back this the guy photo. yeah he's cute oh my gosh i <laughs> i saw it he's, he's plainly handsome listen i yeah i often think you know who will be my next husband 
And um, and I and I literally I looked on I was like trying to find him on social media because I was like I think I could make him fall in love with me if I post my review. Um, <laughs> Does he have a social media? Does he have an Instagram? I can't find him, so it's hopeless. <laughs> I kind of love that. I kind of respect that even more. I do, same. Yeah. Stay, off, stay off the grid. Good for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay, one of my favorite sections in this book is where one of Arthur's. This is a former lover is a Pulitzer Prize winning poet. So like basically one of the great loves of Arthur's life is, mm-hmm. is this poet. He's the one who won the Pulitzer. And in the book, there's this whole section where Arthur talks about what it's like to live with genius. And I thought it was so profound. And I thought, oh my gosh, I want to read that. It's um, it's starting, I think at page, let's see, I'm going to say 67. Is that right? 65 to 67. Um, just if you're, if you have the paperback at home, but I thought this, Oh, I thought it was so good. What was it like to live with genius? Like living alone, like living alone with a tiger. Everything had to be sacrificed for the work. Plans had to be canceled. Meals had to be delayed. Liquor had to be bought as soon as possible or else all poured into the sink. Money had to be rationed or spent lavishly changing daily. The sleep schedule was the poets to make. And it was as often late nights as it was early mornings. The habit was the demon pet in the house. The habit, the habit, the habit. The morning coffee and books and poetry, the silence until noon. And it just goes on and on like that. Life with doubt. Doubt in the morning with the oil beating on a cup of coffee. Doubt in the pee break, not catching his eye. Doubt in the sound of the front door opening and closing. A restless walk, no goodbye, and in the return. Doubt in the slow sound of typewriter keys. Doubt at lunchtime. I... I thought it was so beautiful. And the last two sentences of that whole section where, because there's a point where he, oh, th- at one point uh, he loses his, he loses his um, wedding, his like yes. wedding ring. Yes. That's a great scene. And let me tell you the last, you know, cause it like the last line of that or the last two lines are, it's at one point it references that whole thing about uh, living with genius again. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And that's because that's the thing he's like talking about, you know, how he'll, he'll, he'll be able to tell and he'll know. And, and it's like this relief that he feels that he's found this ring. And then like that, that, that last little bit is just so like, yeah, he comes home and he tells this story, which that whole scene is f- fabulous and funny because he talks about what it's like to have straight men like come to his aid. Yeah. And I thought of I thought of you and CrossFit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like all all of a sudden these straight men are really helpful and he's like, "Oh my gosh, they're not bullies. They're they right. these people are good or kind at least when we have this common mission." Uh-huh. And so they kind of try to help him find his ring. He finally finds it. He goes home and he tells his partner about it. And then he says, and in the telling, laughing at himself, he watched as Robert looked up from his chair and saw everything. That's what it was like to live with genius. It's Which, so profound. <laughs> and the thing is, the way that whole section is structured, I mean, yes. when you get to that, when you get to that last line again, where it's that repetition, it hits yes. so hard. Like it's, it's like poetry. Like it is, it is exactly like poetry. And I, I think I don't know, maybe some readers will get bogged down in that language, but I actually find it bizarrely and unusually accessible to any kind of reader. But the writing is so good and and sneaky good. That's what it is. It doesn't feel overwritten. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like it's trying too hard. And I, I always hate that of books that feels so <laughs> that feels like such a weird critique but this book does not feel like it's trying too hard it just feels like this is Arthur's story and we yes. get to be we get to be a part of it yeah 
So there's another, we talked a little bit about that this feels like a happy book. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where Arthur is in Marrakesh and his kind of nemesis, Carlos, confides in him this hypothesis. And he says, like, for some people, the first half of their life is tragedy and the latter half is comedy. But he's convinced that everybody lives both. But he's like, if you start your life with comedy, you end it with tragedy and vice versa. And there's a line that opens the whole book that's like, from where I sit, the story of Arthur Less is not so bad. And I thought, oh, this is so, like, I'm not sure I even would have picked up on it, but they're having this interesting conversation about tragedy versus comedy. And you kind of have to ask yourself, well, what am I reading? Because it feels like a quest novel. It feels like an adventure story a little bit, like Arthur going around the world. It feels like a love story. It feels like a comedy because there is a happy ending. Um, Mm -hmm. That's no spoilers. It just ends happily. It's a happy story. But it did make me wonder, is this a hypothesis you, I'm just curious, do you agree with that? It really made me think. I thought, oh my gosh. And then I, and then I was like, oh no, if the first half of my life was comedy, I am in trouble. (laughs) Well, so it's funny because when I read it, I almost like, so there's a, I have this, like it reminded me of the story I wrote. uh, Like it's, well, it's that story. I live at the end. Uh, But it talks, I, I wrote about how my granny once told me that, um, that in our family, like most pe- a lot of people, they've had so much bad happen in the first half of their lives that they were just kind of ready to end it all. And that they didn't, it's because they didn't know that it was good yet. And, yeah. and I think that, you know, if you, if you can outlive your suffering, then yeah. you, you, there is so much good left over. But I also think that if you've had a very, like, if you've had a great life and you're not aware of how great you've had it, that yeah. when things start to tumble down, it's going to feel Ooh. like a tragedy. It's going to hurt. It's going to yeah, hurt. Yeah. You prepare yourselves because it will hurt. Mm-hmm. I, um, I once taught a class to some young women and we it was um, in a church setting and I was talking about spiritual deserts. And I mean, I should have known better. These were like high school girls. But I thought, how many of you have experienced a spiritual desert? And most of them raised their hand, but there was one girl who didn't. And looking back, I'm so sorry. I feel like this was kind of mean, but I was like, well, just you wait. Like... <laughs> Like it's going to come for you. Like they, they happen like a spiritual deserts or tragedy or suffering. It does come. None of us leaves yeah. this life unscathed. It all ends in death. Like it's, it's coming. It's yeah. happening. And so I do, gosh, that's a lovely kind of sentiment. Like if you can outlive your suffering, if you can, if you can hold on long enough that there is. And I think that is kind of the point with Arthur. Like it feels yeah. almost like purgatory that he's living through. Like each of his stops has its highlights. Like there's a lovely moment where he kind of receives an award that he wasn't expecting, but there's also like, he loses his suit, his luggage gets lost. Like it's kind of all this kind of um, comedy of errors. Yeah, And it's like, if Arthur can just hold on, like if he can just make it back to San Francisco, he's going to realize it's going to be okay. But it's almost, and it's almost like Arthur is tuning out anything else. Like even toward the end of the book, when people start to kind of try to tell him, Hey, did you hear about the wedding? Did you hear what happened? And he's like, He's, it almost doesn't even enter his, his vision. It almost doesn't even enter into his memory. He just kind of ignores it completely. But I, I just loved thinking about that. And I thought, gosh, what a great book club question. If you read this in a book club to to kind of talk to people about, is it tragedy? Is it comedy? Is it both? Um, And it's, it is all, it is always both. Okay, I did want to talk a little bit about the suit because now all of a sudden the cover does make a lot more sense to me because the cover, I, 
I kind of think the cover is wrong for this book. That may be an unpopular opinion, uh, and that's fine. But the cover certainly does make the book more commercial mm-hmm. and certainly hints at the romantic elements of the book. But this suit that he's wearing is kind of this famous suit, like that he had tailored for himself in Ho Chi Minh. Like it's got this beautiful pink lining, and you can see it. You can see it in the book, in the book cover. And so he, when he's abroad, there's a line, I hate to be this person who brings up You've Got Mail all the time, but there's this line in You've Got Mail where they talk about what people buy while abroad and like what people do when they're abroad. They buy leather jackets they'll never wear and things like that. And I love that Arthur both has success and failure with his, with his long distance spending. So he talks about um, this suit and then he winds up buying another suit while, while overseas. And it gets mailed to him in Japan, which I was like, that's the schnazziest. That's the fanciest thing I've ever heard. Like to have to have something mailed to you at like your Airbnb. I've never right. even it's never even occurred to me. But um he also buys this kind of outlandish outfit in Paris that he realizes then just makes him look like a touristy American. And I'm just curious, have you also bought ridiculous things while overseas? Well, so I was only, like, you know, I only was overseas uh, one time when I went on my honeymoon and I went to Dubai and South Africa. And I, I don't know, did I buy anything that was, hmm, I bought, oh, I bought like little, I bought two tiny little statue things. And then I also bought, I'm trying to think if I bought anything else that was like, if I bought anything that was like silly or ridiculous. Um, well, thankfully I was poor. So I feel like. <laughs> but that's the truth. Arthur, I do feel like Arthur must be doing okay for himself. Now he yeah. acknowledges all of this traveling. He has specifically curated uh-huh. so that he as a writer can get paid. Like he gets paid to go to all these places, right. which I thought, man, what a life. Hunter, that's goals. You need to. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you need to hurry up and write your book so that we can travel internationally. Oh, I will say I did buy like, so whenever I was in South Africa, like there was, we went to the the grocery store there and I just bought, I was like, oh, I was like, I'm sure cookies are going to taste different from somewhere else. Spoiler alert. All <laughs> cookies taste the same, no matter where you go. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Look, I do. I think Arthur and I have similar tendencies where I will buy something overseas so that when I get home and I'm wearing it and you ask me where you got it, instead of saying Target, which is my normal answer, I get to say, oh, London. Right. Oh, oh, this? Oh, this whole <laughs> thing? I bought this at Liberty London. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I, I think I went, I know I went to Liberty London couldn't afford really anything except a handkerchief situation. Uh-huh. And so bought like this bandana thing. And sure enough, I wore that in my hair pretty recently. I recently became bold enough to wear a bandana in my hair and somebody complimented it. And it was a joy of my life to get to be like, Oh, thank you so much. I bought it in London. Like, <laughs> Oh, let me tell you, Lord knows there is a reason why God has not let me go to Italy yet. And it yeah. is because I know that everything I want is in Italy. And yeah. I would, I would, I'd have to, I'd have to go bankrupt. Right. Yeah, because the fact, like, look, not only him getting his suit mailed to him at his, like, next stop, but having a suit perfectly tailored to you while traveling in Paris, I just thought, man, that is the epitome of luxury. Like, to go somewhere where there's a place, I'm pretty sure there's a place in Italy that'll, like, craft a pair of leather sandals to your feet. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how much is that? Because that, that, to me, means you've made it. You've made yeah. it big time. I mean, so good for Arthur. Also, 
he's got to look hot in it if it's like perfectly tailored. Do you think he's handsome? I think he's handsome. I think, so. well, yeah, it's so funny because like the he's first He's blonde, time, which is not my personal preference. Right. So no, the first, no offense. No, I get it. <laughs> but I will say the first time I read it, I pictured someone that you and I both know who is um, older and who has like a little bit of thinning hair, who has, oh. you know who I'm talking about. I won't say yes. on air, but yes. yes. And, so, and so at that point I was like, oh no. Um, but this time, but this time, um, I did the thing that I typically do, which is I was like, could I play this character? And so I imagined myself, I think I could, because he's tall. It talks very much about how tall he is. Um, now you've got that CrossFit bod and I don't think Arthur's just met, Arthur's just messing around with rubber bands. And so I feel like you two look very different. (laughs) I mean, listen, you know, I, I I can, you know, I can like, I can do the Charlize Theron thing and just like stop working out for a minute. It's fine. At 50, maybe this will be accurate. But Here we go, yeah. yeah. But, he, but he's blonde with, like, short hair on the side and longer on the, long top. on the top. I think you could play. You could play, think, Arthur. Oh, it was so funny. Listen, as soon as I saw that in my head, I was like, I kept, it's so funny. Once that picture's in my head, I kept thinking, hmm, I bet Arthur's attractive. And to be fair, not to be even weirder about it, but I feel like there's a world in which, because Freddie, to me, seems shorter. Uh-huh. And he's a teacher. Yeah. And so, look, you and Tyler, this could be your Halloween costume. Except I think Freddie is Hispanic, so sorry, Tyler. Yeah, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> my, my next husband. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, let me see if I have any other questions. Okay, so there is a sequel to this book coming out on September 20th. It's called Less is Lost, and it is an Americana road trip, it sounds like. It sounds a little okay. bit like it's going to be... Travels with Charlie, which is a book I love by John Steinbeck. Let me ask you this. And I just want a yes or no. And then you can expound. But first, I just want your gut reaction. Does this book need a sequel? No. No. The answer is no. No. Right? No. Right? No. It did perfectly. Right. It did it perfectly. But do you know, it's so funny because like like I said earlier, like both this and the Pulitzer finalist, uh, the idiot, but they both have sequels out this year, which I think is so funny and interesting. It is. And it's almost like, guys, well, and I look, I trust these authors. Mm-hmm. I am sure they're fabulous. But I keep thinking about the people on the internet who want Fleabag season three. No, we don't. No, no we don't. Everybody, she told that story and she told it beautifully. We don't need more. Okay. Well, here, it, it, to counter that, I've, so I recently, I was uh, I was rereading Jack because I realized that I did not remember any of it when I read it the first time, the Marilyn Robinson. Because I'm actually, I'm writing about the quartet right now. Okay. And I was thinking about like, I find each of those books perfect in their own way. Mm-hmm. And then I also just read O. William by Elizabeth Strout. <gasps> yes. And let me tell you, I went into that because like you and I both, you and I loved Lucy Barton. Yes. I liked Anything is Possible. I didn't love it as much as I liked Lucy Barton. I read, did you read O. William yet? Uh, yeah, it, I, it was one of my favorite books of 2021, whatever year yeah. it came out. Okay, I was like, why did I just now read this? Beautiful, mm-hmm. stunning. I did, I did not think that I needed any more Lucy Barton until I read O. William, and then I said, oh, I did. And it's better. It is I better. I think it's better than Lucy Barton. I agree. Yeah. So, okay, okay, look, and I will say, I think I'm going to read Less's what is it? Less is less more. Is less is lost. Yeah. Less is oh, I've been saying. Yeah, I've been saying all kind of names for it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I will read it. Um, I'm a little nervous to read it because I kind of feel like I left Arthur right where. Look, this goes back to me and my aversion to sequels. Anyway, like, yeah, I just feel like I like those characters. They can stay where they are. I can imagine them living their lives. 
I don't need a continuation. No, but. do you know what I think it is? I think that you have an aversion to sequels because most people do sequels for money. Yeah. And I think that yeah. when people do a good sequel, it's so rare because it's like, well, like, I mean, I think about how, um, you know, there's been two sequels now, I think, to, uh, to what's it called? The uh, Devil Wears Prada. And this, the first sequel, Revenge Wears Prada, that was definitely a money grab. Mm-hmm. But the second sequel was focusing on Emily Blunt's character. Okay. And I think that that one was actually like a really good, fun book. Uh, yeah. But I think it was be- the reason why it worked was because it it did- wasn't trying to just like recapture the magic. Yes. Yes. This is like, yes, we, yeah. I, it just reminds me, <laughs> Jordan and I, we have a person in our life who like a magical moment will happen. And the next time we're together, they're trying to recreate that magical moment. And we're like, that's so lovely. We already did it. Yeah. Like it just, it was magical for a reason. Like yeah. it was magical because it was a one-time thing. We don't have to recreate the magic every no. time we're together. <laughs> we're not Walmart. We're not yeah. distributors. Like calm down. We can right. just like, we can like have new things each time. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like we've kind of filled this out, but one question we talk about when we do Backlist Book Club is what books belong on a book flight or on an end cap with less so we've mentioned some already. I do think, again, I know people are eye rolly about it, but I do think Eat, Pray, Love belongs there. You mentioned Fleischman is in trouble, which I think might be the best comp I've heard. Good job. Thank what you. else? Um, do you think that a book by Stephen Rowley? Yes, I put that on mine. I put okay. The Gunkle. That's what I was thinking. I put The Gunkle because, and not just because they're both gay lit, but because the main characters to me have real similarities. There's a certain curmudgeon, there's a slight curmudgeon vibe to Arthur. Did you read his book, The Editor? Yes, I did. Do you feel like that might be a good comp? Yes. I did not love that book that much. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) You can probably see it on my face. I think that book is fine. Yeah. Oh, oh, the Gunkle was where I was one over. I was like, okay, this is. Yes. That's where I, I thought that was the book Stephen Rowley was meant to write. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong. You know what came to, uh, it occurred to me, and this is not this would not classify as gay lit, but um, I think Frederick Bachman. There's a world in which Frederick Bachman could have written this book, <laughs> yeah. and uh, Britt Marie was here. Britt Marie was here is one that I would think would be similar. I'm gonna also put the hours because they're both gay stream of consciousness, like definitely inspired by like the Virginia Woolf, the uh, who wrote Ulysses? Oh gosh, James Joyce. James Joyce. Thank you. Like James Joyce. It, like they're both definitely uh pulling from those same things uh i think they're like they're almost like opposite like the opposite sides of each other like mm-hmm. one's tragedy the other's comedy haha <laughs> good job you got there um uh, i think i'd also put you know if we're talking about travel books then i think i'd also do traveling with pomegranates which is one of my favorite travel books by Sue Monk Kidd and Ann Kidd Taylor. I actually think it's better than a lot of Sue Monk Kidd's fiction, um, though that might be an unpopular opinion. And then World Travel by Anthony Bourdain. Mm-hmm. My friend Betsy always does these on her Instagram. She does, what does she call them? Content flights, mm-hmm. where it's not just a book, but she's also pairing it with TV shows and stuff. And so I think Stranger Than Fiction would be my movie comp. And okay. I know this sounds silly, but there's a great, look, it's a great, lovely family show on Netflix called Somebody Feed Phil. Uh-huh. Brought me a lot of joy during the pandemic. And the way Phil is kind of gangly, long arms, long legs, and like mm-hmm. trotting across the globe reminds me a little bit of Arthur oh, Less. for a movie? Listen, I don't think it's for you, but there's this movie I love. It's called I Love You, Philip Morris. 
Okay, yes, I've heard of it. And it, yeah, it has Jim Carrey and uh, Ewan McGregor. And I find that it is, it, listen, it, it is it is a hard R in some places, but it is, <laughs> okay. but it is delightful and charming. I mean, they're literally in prison and it is still funny and happy. And like at one point you think someone's going to die and it's still happy. And I, I love it. Which okay. I, I didn't mean to ask you very quick because we didn't talk about this, but do, did you, because I think we've talked about before, we can love a book and not like a character. Did you find less likable yes see I do. I, do you know well i loved him but i'm i i'm curious because i loved him for the reasons why i feel like it would be complicated for you to love him oh i okay i loved him because okay you like messy people mm-hmm. messy characters i think you like messy people too yeah. um i like messy characters who are you like trying. the underdog you like the underdog yes yeah. yeah. And I thought Arthur is messy and he makes decisions I wouldn't make. But this is somebody who's actively trying to live his life. He's not letting life happen to him. He is determined. He's not going, he's not Julia Robertsing this and going to ruin his boyfriend's wedding. Right. Instead, he's like, you know what? I'm going to be a grown up. I'm going to go travel the world. The, there, there are some, I mean, there are some outlandishly funny parts of this book. I'm now I'm all of a sudden remembering the whole scene in India where he's at a Christian. Yeah. He's at a he's accidentally at a Christian retreat center, which which made me laugh out loud. Like he walks into a room and there's like a giant Last Supper painting. Right. I just I found him and his reactions to life. Like I thought, man, I'd really like to be friends with Arthur. I think he would make life entertaining. Oh, I definitely agree. Also, I just, so I don't really think this is like really much of a spoiler at all. I don't think, but like he is, he is a person who has cheated in past relationships. Yes. And I know some people don't like that. I love a cheater. Uh, (laughs) If you, if you, if you cheat, if you ruin your life, good for you. I love it. Talk to me about it. When Anna Karina did it, I was like, yes, keep going. (laughs) Tell me more, and I was yes. like, "Wow, what a horrible move!" <laughs> I know it's so funny. Like, it, like I, I, have, I have, I have yet to cheat in my marriage, um, but but every time someone else says, "I'm like, you do, you do, you." It, look, it's interesting to read about. I mean, it's yeah. entertaining. Yeah. It's entertaining. And look, I think to be fair, it felt like Arthur was in open relationships. It did not feel oh, like I'm it did not sh- feel like they were exclusive. In, oh, every in single way. Yeah, no, that's the thing too. I was like, because it, it's funny because I think that his guilt stemmed from not necessarily like I, I think that it's that that whole thing where you stop you stop seeking out like you know joy like uh, enjoyment and fun, and you start seeking like comfort and yes, you know, emotional resonance with somebody else in that way and he and he seemed like a character that was prone to some anxiety i love the quote that i led with at the top of the episode because i thought it was so profound like Mm -hmm. that somebody saw in him this bravery and arthur was like i'm not brave but then it's like well maybe i am maybe if i live my life with this anxiety or with this mm, pressure to please or if if I live my life that way, and so turns out buying a stick of gum is the same level of anxiety as like getting an airplane ticket. Like, yeah. I just I just thought that was so lovely, and I loved. I won't spoil the unnamed narrator. How long did it take you to realize who the unnamed narrator was? Just out of curiosity. I think I sort of like got the hint like about mid or whatever. I guess like the second time I like mentioned. Yeah, them, I think like, about yeah. midway through. I thought, right, about, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. who this is, but. 
see, I think that was also especially lovely, which is while I will be very curious who the narrator is in the sequel, mm-hmm. because it was so wonderful to see Arthur clearly how Arthur sees himself, but also through the eyes of someone who views Arthur with tenderness. Yeah. It felt this is okay. I'm so sorry. Um, you bring your gayness to the table, and I guess I bring my Christianity to the table. I don't know. I <laughs> know, I feel it. <laughs> but it feels like it felt like what a third person omniscient like might see and think about you. That like yes. you see yourself as a struggling, flailing human, mm-hmm. but a godlike creature might see you as someone who's trying. And who's brave? And I, ah, I loved oh, it. <laughs> listen, Gina, it's so funny that runs like the other day. Somebody, somebody, I'm really one of my close friends. Like we were talking, and I made a joke about being a bad person. And he said, "I don't think that at all." He said, "I think you're a really lovely person, and you are endlessly kind." And I literally started crying because I was like, <laughs> "Why would you say that?" Like I was, but like you're, but yeah, I think that you know we do see ourselves in the worst ways, and then like when we when we hear how somebody else views us, it is like a very like. Oh, it's so tender to hear mm-hmm. somebody else see something in us that we can't see ourselves. Yeah. And I I really did love that narrative aspect. And I I just I don't know how it will work in a sequel, but we'll see. I, and when you said when you talk about like the ending being perfect, even down to the last line. Yeah. I'm I ugh, I'm I like Arthur. I will I will probably read the sequel, and especially now, because now I feel like, oh, I'm invested. Like I just yeah. finished this book. Like um, and I hope, if nothing else, I also hope the sequel encourages people to read the first book, mm-hmm. which we'll close maybe with this thought, which is I like to go like I Googled um I Googled Pilgrim at Tinker Creek when we were finished and, and found some really lovely articles. There's a great, we'll link to it in the show notes. There's a great um book club guide found in the New York Times, which I thought was really helpful. Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna read this in a book club setting, but reviews on this book were quite mixed. Like I think the New York times gave it a really favorable review, but man, look, and Goodreads is always a little bit of a (laughs) a wild place to spend your time. Uh, But the opinions on Goodreads were all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so I know there are some people for whom this book was clearly not, but I hope that the sequel inspires people to give it another try because I really, I was I was so pleasantly surprised. I thought, well, this is a delightful reading experience. I agree. Hunter, thank you so much for chatting about less with me. I'll always do more and not less. (laughs) That's beautiful. (laughs) (sighs) This week, I'm reading Dinosaurs by Lydia Millette. Hunter, what are you reading? I'm reading Paul by Daisy Lafarge. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelfteville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Studio D Podcast Production for production of From the Front Porch and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. Our executive producers of today's episode are Donna Hetchler, Angie Erickson, Cami Tidwell, Nicole Marcy, Wendy Jenkins, Lori Johnson, Kate Johnston Tucker, 
Thank you all for your support of From the Front Porch. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make the show even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see write a review and tell us what you think. Or if you're so inclined, you can support us over on Patreon, where we have three levels of support, Front Porch Friends, Book Club Companions, and Bookshelf Benefactors. Each level has an amazing number of benefits like bonus content, access to live events, discounts, and giveaways. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you, and we look forward to meeting back here next week.